welcome to Disputes and Perspective. I'm Doug Cherry, a partner in the Disputes team at Reed Smith. This podcast series will discuss disputes-related trends, hot topics and developments occurring in the global legal landscape, and hopefully provide you with some helpful insights and practical tips. If you have any questions about any of the episodes, please feel free to contact our speakers. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. It's Reed Smith's biometrics litigation team here to delve into a little more detail on the regulations in the biometric space and further background in this hot litigation area. So, Mike, let's kick it off with a question for you. How is biometric data regulated? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, and I think in our earlier episode, we we discussed it's really important to know where you are. And so we are dealing with a very patchwork set of laws uh, that differ and are very discreet depending on where, where you're standing. And uh, to complicate it, it doesn't just depend on states. There are laws also are unique to municipalities. So again, it's a it's a lawyer's dream or headache depending on what you what, what how you feel. But uh, you can be, for example, in California and you're dealing with one set of biomet- state biometric laws. But if you're in San Francisco, you have to also consider the local ordinances. But just by way of example, they're really the models that have emerged really come from Illinois, uh, which is one model, and in California. And then talking about those and. and, and Illinois provides for a private right of action, and and that's where we see a lot of litigation and and other states considering the Illinois model. The other model is is California, which also provides for a a more limited qualified private right of action. We can get more into that as we as we talk, but it, that really, though, generally speaking, those laws only get implicated when you're talking about where there's a breach, a data breach. Illinois, you don't require data breach. You're, you're subject to Illinois uh, to Illinois biometric laws uh, just by virtue of being someone uh, in the state. And if you collect what Illinois considers to be biometric data, and then the other the other model, I guess those are the two primary models. The other model would be Texas, which uh, is just an example of having some biometric laws, but really its its only enforcement mechanism has to be a state AG. They've actually developed a, a separate office for enforcement. But it's it's regulatory enforcement, not private uh, right of action. Generally speaking, and before I hand over to Natsai for comment too, is these laws, and again at a very high level, they are very discreet. And when you once you get into them, but at a very high level, they try to accomplish, I think, certain of the similar goals. And one of them being that if you are a consumer, you have to have some sort of notice that you're going to be giving up your biometric data, and that notice. Depending on where you are, something has to be written notice, and then something you have to actually give your written consent, which is the law here in Illinois. That's an example. Um, but notification is often a big kind of goal of some of these laws. In California, for example, you have to also provide notification if there's a breach and your and your biometric data has been compromised in any way. Also, they try to impose some laws try to impose um, some sort of some sort of restrictions on the sale of biometrics or outright prohibition on the sale of biometrics. Again, it depends on where you are. And then another common theme you'll see is just sort of reasonable security measures within the industry, depending on what industry is dealing with the biometrics. So those are kind of some of the highlights of uh, how it's regulated within the, among the various states and, and, and municipalities. And I think one thing I would add there, too, is we've seen some of the notices focus a lot on retention schedules or what the, I guess, to Mike's point on the rest- restrictions on sale and disclosure, it can also be what are the restrictions around retention policies, destruction policies? You know, how does that company or entity manage your biometric data? Yeah, that's a great point. And we see a lot of those 
and even so to Naza's, that's excellent because even if you give the right notice and, and get the right consent, you can still be in trouble if you're not maintaining it the right way or for the right duration. Yeah. Yeah. And how about regulation in the federal space? Is the federal government lagging a little bit behind the states in this front? It is in a way. There's been multiple bills proposed, so it's on the radar. But as with anything with Washington, it moves slowly, right? And it's subject to maybe partisan perspective, different partisan perspectives. Although I think a lot of commentators think this might be the one thing that the parties can can find some common ground because wherever you're living in the country, there's some concern about what happens when you you give up your biometrics. And I think one thing to flag there is that um, while there are bipartisan proposals, it seems like the thing that the parties are disagreeing on is what to use as a baseline. And I think, Mike, a question to you, which one gives you more heartburn, the CCPA or BIPA? <laughs> that's a great now. Well, mostly BIPA because that's the one I've had to deal with in here in Illinois. And I think uh, that was a nice setup. I, it's And also BIPA because I think that's becoming the model, uh, including out by you, Natsai, in, in New York, New Jersey, things of that area there, and Florida. You know, on East Coast jurisdictions have been looking to BIPA, I think, more as the model than the CCPA. And I feel like that goes to the other part of this that we all love as lawyers, right? Conflict of laws analysis. So if there is a federal law, right, how do you deal with preemption of state laws? I think that that's a cause for disagreement along with this private right of action. So I think those are some important things to flag that sort of hold things up in terms of creating a comprehensive federal law. And Mike, let me know if there's anything else that I missed in terms of the hurdles that exist. No, not at all. I, I think that's, that's a really fair play. And, and I think one of the things that a lot of health people are from Facebook, just that was obviously that was a big biometric settlement involving BIPA. You know, there, there were a host of every argument possible was thrown, thrown up as a defense. And so, and it was a good example that, and all of them were rejected including an argument that the, that the consumers had somehow contracted out of BIPA and court, uh, the, the Ninth Circuit said, no, there was, a, there was substantial interest on that state part for Illinois to enforce that regulation. So uh, it, it's just a, the, the broad stroke takeaway is you don't want to be a, a biometrics defendant in this environment, certainly. And to your point, uh, say I think there's a lot, there's been a lot thrown up. There's going to be a lot more if there's a federal, if there's a federal act and there's going to be preemption issues. Generally speaking right now, you don't want to be, be a biometric defendant. Mm-hmm. And speaking of being a biometric defendant, my question for you, um, there's a case brewing in front of the Illinois Supreme Court, the White Castle matter that looks like it's going to provide um, some guidance one way or another for employers in the biometric space. How about you tell us a little bit about that case? Yeah, one of the big issues here in Illinois and under the statute, and again, it's not the model of clarity, is is the language. Uh, you're on the hook per violation. And what does that mean? Does it mean every time someone's biometrics are scanned, White Castle's taken the position, as others defendants have, that it, it really only applies to the first time your biometrics are scanned. So the issue before the Supreme Court is, when does it accrue, right? When is when is, when is there accrual and then how much are you going to be on the hook for? A lot of these large biometric cases and then and corresponding settlements have been based on the understanding that that you're on the hook each time there's been a scan. And that's how plaintiff's lawyers have, have approached it. But there is an argument, statutory argument that maybe, and, and it, 
you know, without commenting on whether it's an uphill climb or not, some, some have said it pretty much, it, it should be an uphill climb based on both the reading of the statute and the way uh, Illinois considers uh, accrual. But more, but, but what's interesting to me is that it, that in many cases, including cases we've litigated, the technology seems to almost be ahead of the statute. For example, like there is, there may be an initial capturing of someone's biometrics, but thereafter it gets converted into an algorithm, a very common feature. And then there's just usually a comparison. So there's not a capture anymore. There's a reading and that, you know, it could be Natsai who's coming into her office, you know, and accessing the security on, on the computer and initially it captured her biometrics, but it, but that, that got converted into an algorithm. There's arguments that that algorithm somehow is a biometric that's, you know, putting that aside. But when she subsequently comes in and does it every day, there's just an algorithm to algorithm comparison. And just their, their argument is, is that's just reading uh, her bioness rather than capturing. It's not, it's not reading anything new or capturing anything new. So it's interesting. It's almost, and it's not clear whether technology was responding to the statute or it was just ahead of the statute in many cases. Yeah. Yeah. And looking at that from a class action defense perspective, I mean, boy, will that be a sea change once they have, that, you know, per scan or, or a per case kind of analysis. So we'll definitely have to keep an eye out for that decision. But I feel like part of it too, is we're still coming out of COVID, right? So what do you do in this remote environment? Are people's expectations to actually go back into the office? How is this data going to be stored? Like how the impact of that will be interesting to see in the employment space as it plays out. Absolutely. So let's talk about why biometrics are important. Natsai, how about you take it away? So I think the, the hot topic, right, and why we're here is that they're important because defendants are being hit with class actions. And on that note, we are here to help you at Reed Smith. Happy to take on your defense. So I think that that also runs the gamut in terms of types of industries impacted. And I think Mike got to this point a little bit earlier um, in Geneva 2 through our discussion, right? So lawsuits have included amusement parks, uh, retailers, restaurants, manufacturers, investment companies, personal care companies. So it really does run the gamut. Another reason why is that biometric data collection is becoming increasingly prevalent, right? There's so many ways that companies are collecting our biometric information. So going back to the examples that Mike gave, your DNA, fingerprints, retina and iris patterns, voice recordings, handwriting, uh, keystroke patterns, your gait, which is kind of creepy. Like if you have an Apple watch, like how is that taken into consideration? Um, if you like to run, which I mean, I don't, but like how do these things get implicated is an interesting thing to think about and how they're becoming targets of um, these biometric lawsuits. And I think that goes back to that point about the plaintiff's bar. They're coming up with these new theories of interpreting what your rights of privacy around your biometrics are. And so I think we'll continue to see an evolution there. And I think that goes to with states that are enacting um, biometric privacy laws. So you have Illinois, Texas, Washington, California is always a hot topic, particularly where there's a private private right of action that exists. I think that becomes a really big risk for um, companies or any defendant in this type of scenario. And I think to one of the points that Mike was making uh, in terms of the risk of the violation, there's the economic cost of it, right? And the economic impact. So a single violation. So if we use an example, 
collecting a single fingerprint under BIPA, the potential uh, risk there is up to $1,000 or $5,000 in statutory awards per violation. So if you have a class of like 1,000 people, that's that's not really great optics or risk for the defendant. And I think that's why we see a lot of these settlements happening, because the math just doesn't play out if you go to court and get a judgment against you. And I think the last piece there, too, is biometric technology is evolving so quickly. So it's interesting to see, um, to the point with the employment issue, is the technology going to outpace the law? And how is that going to play out? And, you know, is that really realistic, right? Because it takes a long time. We, we have no federal legislation. It takes Washington a minute to get to things. It takes state legislatures a minute to get to things. So how are those two things going to keep pace with the technology as it changes and evolves? And Mike, let me know if there's anything I missed in my monologue of why biometrics are important. No, I, I think you're. I think you hit it right square on the head. I mean, I, I, if you're in business in the United States, uh, you have to be aware of of these laws and the sneaking up on the laws, right? Because there are there are some that are in, that you know have been proposed. You know, we are we at Reed Smith are monitoring new legislation all the time, and some of these are in different uh, stages. Some are close to being enacted and signed, and some uh, even in jurisdictions where People may not think that 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 there might be a biometric law that would gain much support. You know, we're finding that we're seeing that Florida being one. There was it didn't it didn't it didn't get enacted, but but you're finding support on both sides of the aisle in different geographies, and and you have to be aware of these laws. Mm-hmm. And that's a natural segue to a question for you, Mike, about how should clients navigate the use of biometric data. Yeah, and it, it obviously we've talked about jurisdiction specific uh, sensitive sensitivity you have to have. But beyond that, I think you really just got to know your product and know who you're working with. A lot of times, it's off people's radars that a product that that's in development incorporates some por- some sort of biometric feature. And speaking specifically to to, to in-house counsel, I know they uh, more than one have been caught off guard. They've walked in the office planning their day. And all of a sudden, something gets thrown in their lap, as often does when you're in house counsel, asking, say, saying, "Hey, someone, someone just saw something in the news and realized, oh, they have a similar feature in their product that they're developing. Oh, and by the way, they spent millions and millions of dollars developing it, and the business wants a quick opinion turned around right now." We've been brought in those instances and have been able to navigate them. But the key is knowing for sure what your product does and doesn't do, and then I think. We've been able to assist, and it's very important to know to what contracts and agreements are in place. To the extent you can shift some of the exposure here with indemnity clauses and you know hold harmless, that's great. One of the difficulties is, and sometimes you may, we may be representing or advising a client who's working on the biometric, who has a product they've developed that has a biometric feature, but they are not the ones who has the who have the relationship with the consumer. There's someone in between. They might be late, you know, and so who then is saddled with providing the notice and getting the consent that's required on the statute? That's a tricky thing. And how do you do it, right? There's some mechanisms which providing notice and obtaining consent isn't easy. And, and again, who who's responsible for, for any failures? I mean, th- there's, there's lots of counseling uh, that has to 
has to be done uh, when you're navigating the, this area. And I would say one additional thing to flag here is that we're just talking about the United States, right? So for multinationals, there are so many implications that can impact your business. And I think, Mike, one of the questions we get, like, which law should I care about the most, right? Because in-house counsel, they're busy. There's this new product. Nobody told them about it. Everyone's freaking out because there's an implication and a risk. So I feel like the go-to is usually BIPA is the one that you care about the most. And then most states will model along that and you know think about the jurisdictions where the product will impact and i think this is something that our team has helped with like it's not just the defense piece it's also thinking about how to counsel a client through uh, that product launch or sort of uh, mitigate the risk once the product is launched and there is potential risk particularly in different jurisdictions where risk was not anticipated and then also defending the putative class action and how sort of that plays out in terms of thinking through, uh, again, risk considerations with settlement or do just duke it out and keep litigating. That's a great point I, that escaped me, too, is, is often that comes up is, you know, a lot of these biometric products with biometric features, they, they transport, they move around, they don't stay in one space, right? So they might be in one state at one point. And you might be fine. You're in Missouri. Okay, all's good. You're using a biometric product. Well, Missouri doesn't have a biometric law at this point. Oh, wait, I just crossed from St. Louis into, into Illinois and this happens. And the, the product I'm using just captured my biometric data because I needed to access it. Or, you know, you look, you, you live on one border state, but you cross over into a state that has biometrics and laws and your, and your company's using biometric technology to capture something. We've dealt with that. So it's the patchwork that makes our country great, but also makes these uh, compliance very hard. <laughs> so Mike, as, as the, the captain of the biometrics team here, how about you kind of outline for folks how Reed Smith can help? Of course, we have a you know great class action defense team. We have client counseling matters. We've assisted on contractual negotiation matters, but um, give folks a little flavor of the types of matters that we've done and, and how Reed Smith can help. Yeah, that's one thing I hear at Reed Smith is we were ahead of this really early on. The biometric fever really began when um, in about 2017 here in Illinois, BIPA sat dormant for about 10 years before people found it. And then the class action space just blew up. So our teams both here and start, but it, it wasn't just centralized here in Illinois. People, we pulled teams in from across the country that the benefit of being a national firm and knowing that these issues were surfacing in places like California. Texas, New York, and that the dominoes were starting to fall, we've been able to stay on top of it. So again, we have we are actively following and tracking each of these laws and including amendments to these laws, as we've already seen numerous times in California. So what we've done is we've, we've been on both on the counseling arm of how to really get ahead and assist clients and actually even pushing the issues in front of them so they're aware before they get too far along on certain products or certain services to say hey be aware of this and we've we've offered many cle's we've 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 actually been engaged on many product launches throughout the country about where they need to be sensitive and to nat's point earlier what standards i mean and this is something in-house counsel has to deal with what every day What's the standard and, and what, what should you be modeling your product standard by? In some cases, it very much is it's Illinois, right? You have to, but Illinois has some, it's a very stringent, very strict law that, that gives people headaches. 
but it's not always the law that has the highest standard. And you're trying to find out the, what's the sweet spot to com for compliance purposes. So you might be pulling from various different laws in different states and advising client, here's your safest route, right? That's what they want to do. And then you have the conversation of whether that makes sense for the business side. Uh, so we find ourselves usually very much engaged with both the legal and business teams. And I think we've developed a very, very strong ability to have those conversations because sometimes they're similar, sometimes they're a little different conversations. And I think so we've done the counseling. We've also litigated. Uh, we've litigated a number of these cases here involving both the Illinois statute and the California statute, both in the context of employment products, people doing the traditional punch clock type payroll type of punching that goes on, as well as uh, medical devices, uh, access to drugs, which medical providers have to have to do in terms of scanning their and authenticating who they are. We've dealt with other products as well in terms of, in the context of uh, data breaches where biometrics have been alleged to have been compromised and there's been alleged liability on the California Act. So we've uh, we've handled it all. We've even done some uh, some advising on some regulatory enforcement. So I like our experience and I like our team. Terrific. And I would just add in, I am not the captain, but one other thing that we can do, which Mike also highlighted or alluded to, is just what are the protocols and procedures around this, right? If you take a step back, we're worried about new product launch, we're worried about litigation, but what do you do with existing practices and procedures? And that's another piece that we have also assisted on. Well, Mike and Natsai, always a pleasure to work with you and glad we could catch up on hot topics in the biometric space. Thank you. Thank you. Disputes in Perspective is a Reed Smith production. Our producer is Ali McArdle. For more information about Reed Smith's litigation and dispute resolution practice, please email disputesandperspective at reedsmith.com. You can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple, Google, Stitcher, and reedsmith.com, and our social media accounts at reedsmithllp on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. This podcast is provided for educational purposes. It does not constitute legal advice and is not intended to establish an attorney-client relationship, nor is it intended to suggest or establish standards of care applicable to particular lawyers in any given situation. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome. Any views, opinions, or comments made by any external guest speaker are not to be attributed to Reed Smith LLP or its individual lawyers. All rights reserved.